Low Light. Written, performed and produced by Melanie Crawley. Episode 4. The lantern roof creaks irritably as the resident gang of crows potter about atop its slates. Cold puffs of snow sprinkle down outside its window panes, dislodged by their scaly talons. Gavin has been witness to this fluffy descent for a few minutes now. He woke in the grey light of the morning, alarmed at the stiffness in his neck, but so contented by the reality of Shirley asleep in his embrace that he's been frozen in place since, with a daft smile on his face. Then the cramp revisits his left leg, and he involuntarily shoots his limb out and down, jerking Shirley awake. Sorry, he says, go back to sleep. It's nothing, it's only early. He presses his phone screen. It's not that early. He needs to get to work. Shirley sees it too. No, it's not. It's quarter past eight. Don't you need to work today? Yeah. (laughs) Gavin, what is it? Cramp again. You need to drink more water. Shirley writes herself, locates Cat, who is tucked up in some kind of packing crate covered in Christmas decorations, wakes her with a few low words. Cat's eyes open in alarm and then her face relaxes as she remembers. Where's Eric? says Gavin. Probably in the bog, says Cat. The bog? asks Gavin. Yes, says Cat. The bog? Sorry, Gav, is that too base for your delicate sensibilities? No, it's just odd to hear you say something like that. It's kind of aggressive. Aggressive? What are you talking about? Honestly, Gavin, you can be perverse some. Hey, idiots, stop your tired kiddie bickering. Sorry, Shirl. Saz. They sit in the snowy light as the corvids bustle above for an awkward moment as they listen for signs of Eric's plumbing being tested. The pipes remain quiet, though. Their breath is visible. It's really quite cold. Right, I'll go and have a look. I need to get to work anyway, Gavin announces. OK, says Cat. Shall I come back at lunchtime? Fish and chips? Yeah, great, says Shirley. Gavin heaves himself and his leg out of the little room and into the dark passages of the upper floors of Lightwood House. He sneezes in honour of the many decades of dust holding the place together. After giving the old pipe something to think about himself, back he goes, down the precipitous stairway, thinking longingly of his own warm bathroom and fluffy towels. He glimpses movement through what's left of the back French windows, black flapping objects wheeling about, the crows. Upstairs, the sisters sit in light grey silence as the black birds begin circling the lantern. Cat extracts herself from Christmas past and stands to watch them. She looks out over the dark scar of the track that leads through Eric's property, round the perimeter of the Lower Lee community garden, and on to Padma's house. Cat says, You saw the flowers, didn't you? It wasn't just me. Yeah, of course I did. Did Gav? I think so, yeah. Although 
He did drink more of that green stuff than we did. Oh, the taste of it. I know. There's a further quiet in the little room. They begin to feel Henry's absence. It seems to bloom when they're together, just the two of them. Like a key in a lock, their souls seem to mesh and his memory spills into the space and fills it up. Shirley's face contorts with an almost sob, and Cat glances at her, anxious. Cat reaches out and takes Shirley's hand. Shirley flinches, but Cat holds on, resolve gathering in her eyes. The quiet settles, flavoured with Henry's absence, until, where is he? whispers Shirley. With Charlie and Simon, admits Cat. In... In New York, with them in their beautiful house in the countryside. Safe. In America. He's safe. How could you take him all that way and leave him? To make him safe, Shirl. What, what is wrong with you? How could you do that, Cat? Couldn't you at least have spoken to me about what to do? How dare you decide that without me? Hey, hey, are you making it your life's work to ruin his? Shut up. Just shut up. He's my son, Shirley, not yours. It's my decision, not yours. I looked after him for five years when you were off your head. I know, and I'm grateful you know I am. You don't think I should have any say in how he's looked after. He's my son, and I don't have to. But just shut up for one minute, I'll tell you the actual plan, OK? Because there is one. Is there? OK. Go on, then. What's your grand plan, Cat? Gavin has heard the raised voices as he arrives at the sturdy side door, which gapes open, freezing air making itself at home in the kitchen. Alarmed, he decides to leave the girls to their disagreement and makes his way down the icy steps and round the side of the house to find Eric standing, head bare, slippers soaking in the snow on the terrace. In a rare moment of practical-mindedness, Gavin pops back in, finds coat, hat, scarf and wellies, and thus armed, retraces his steps to the old man. Reg sees him and is in high spirits, what with the snow on the ground, falling snow from the trees, mad crows everywhere, and an absolute certainty that something's a bit strange. He charges, No, Reg, no, Reg! Yes, Reg. Gavin can be in no doubt of Reg's joy at seeing him. The pair fumble and teeter until Reg is distracted by one of the smaller crows, who clearly has an agenda. Gavin takes the opportunity to clothe Eric. No words are exchanged. Eric, like a small child, accepts this procedure as a normal routine. Once satisfied that Eric won't get frostbite, Gavin leans on the beech tree that has managed to root through the stone of the terrace into the earth below and taken up grand residence there, a stoic garden party guest who never felt the need to leave. Morning, Eric. How are you feeling? murmurs Gav. Oh, Eric breathes. Right. I've just come out to see where we're at, lad. Right. Hmm... Where we're at with... With what, Eric? What? Oh, Gavin, there you are. What? No, look, 
I have to see where we are. It's no good ignoring it. I mean, that's what we've been doing, and look at the... His voice cracks. It's all right, Eric. Sorry, I didn't mean to upset you. You didn't upset me, you daft sod. Why are you always apologising? Just listen. Okay. The flowers died last night, says Eric with beseeching eyes. The flowers, yes, they, they did die. How did you... Usually, they wouldn't die. They'd live a season and die like flowers do. Some wouldn't like it up there, it is winter, after all, and they wouldn't get watered because I'd forget, probably. And, but they wouldn't usually just shrivel and disappear. OK. Why is that? Do you mean because of Padma? Eric glares at Gavin with a look of absolute disbelief. Yes, of course. OK, I'm sorry. No, stop being bloody sorry. Unless you killed her, did you? Eric, no, of course not. Have you not been paying any attention? Did you not listen last night, lad? Um, well, yes, I did, actually. But, well, maybe I didn't understand. Right. I'll explain, shall I? I wish you would, Eric, Gavin whispers. Eric grunts, he sighs and gathers himself. When someone like Padma, or like me, is coming to the end of their life, we find someone who can take over the storytelling for us. Our stories must be told, Gavin, and told well, if they're not. They deteriorate, you see. They dull down and then they start to lose their detail and break up into smaller pieces and sometimes these pieces hook up with others and create new tales that don't have their proper context, you see. And it can create problems. Oh, to say the least, it can create problems. The snow whips up from the ground as the breeze snaps about, listening to Eric, sniggering. Because it knows all this, of course. It knows it, and it remembers well when this has happened before. It gathers its cold, mean gusts and girds its force, ready to blow and howl and screech in triumphant herald of dark, dark days. Well... Could you write them down? I mean, I could type them up for you if you want, Eric. Or I have a very useful voice memo app on here, ventures Gavin as he holds up his smartphone. Eyes of molten lava bore into Gavin. Gavin lowers his phone. When a story is told, if it is told well and with an understanding and respect for nature and humanity... If it is told with honesty, and it embraces justice. If the storyteller reveals through their words the truth and beauty of life itself, which is not easy, my lad, it's not bloody easy. If they do that well enough, then the images they describe will entify. Eric has a smile in his eyes for the first time in days but Gavin is still looking blank. They will appear, 
they will emerge from the trickle of those spoken words into the low light. They will unfold from the dark earth and take on a form. No verbal response yet from Gavin, although he is looking slightly alarmed. The dark track, Gavin. The dark track is made when the stories are told beautifully and told often. And when the teller is moved to wander along between significant places with open eyes and an open and curious mind. The dark track is where the ideas and thoughts and the humorous things emerge from the earth and the air and the water and take their first look at the world. The flowers. Yes, Gavin, the flowers. Come on, you're getting it now. Now, Gavin, as well, as well. There has to be difficulty, too. This is what people don't understand. Difficult things. Hard, stark, sharp things. Disappointment. Unkindness. Poor judgment. Cruelty, even. Eric's face has fallen. Does the? Asks Gavin, with some disappointment. Yes, of course there does. You know there does. Yin, yang, Gavin. Yes? Encourages Eric. Yes, yes, I suppose so, Gavin agrees. These things have to come to be too. Right, okay, so now all of them will start rattling around with no anchor. Gavin takes this in. The things that have uh, come to be, you mean? Like the flowers, except not the flowers because they've gone, but uh, the other things that you've... Uh, what kind of things are we talking about here, Eric? All kinds of things, Gavin. All kinds. What, so... Uh, inanimate objects? Yes. Okay, and uh, other living things. Anything else? Living? Yes. Yes. Really? Like what? Gavin looks about himself perturbed, sees the crows. Are any of these crows? Eric waggles his eyebrows. These crows? They're all? No, not all. Would you think I am Merlin? No, just... Oh, it doesn't matter. She'll not cause too much damage as long as you keep your wits about you. She? Which, uh, Gavin casts his eyes around wildly, trying to work out which of the blackbirds might be the unreal, magical being. It's all right, Gavin. Calm down. Listen. Are you listening? It's only when they start to get together with others. What others? What are we talking about here, Eric? Are there many others? Animals? Eric's face is set, hoping Gavin will get a hold of himself. Are there? It's all right, Gavin. We're all right just now. These things do take some time. As long as we take some action soon and keep our eyes open for any strange occurrences, then hopefully we'll be able to contain it. 
Eric, I have to say, I'm not overly reassured. What animals are they? Wait, are there people? Eric stares at him. Have you brought actual humans into the world through your storytelling? You can't have. Really? Oh, wow. Who? Eric. Who? All right. <laughs> Perhaps this wasn't such a good idea. Tell me, Eric. No, lad. No, I'm not telling you any more. It's a privilege to have this knowledge, Gavin. And you look to me like you can't handle it, so for your own good I'll have to do this on my own. Oh, well, no, I mean, I want to help. I'm sorry. Okay, look, I'll tell you what, I'll, uh, I'll stop my questions. And you and me can work out how to do whatever it is you need to do, as long as I don't need to know more, if you see what I mean. Need to know basis. That'll be my security clearance. Security. This isn't a game, Gavin. No. These, what can I call them? They don't really have a name. I suppose they're simulacra. Or chimeras? It's something in between all this, really. A mirage, but more substantial. It's like the opposite of mimesis. You know, when art tries to depict reality, it's not the opposite of that. It's more like an offset of that idea. A mimesism, perhaps. That's not a word, is it? No. No, it's not, but it might do for now, unless you have any better ideas, Gavin, you knowing so much about this. Hmm? Okay, Eric. No need for sarcasm. Isn't there? Oh, okay, sorry about that. He pauses. Need to know basis. We'll go on from there, all right. So, the mimicisms... Oh, that's not easy to say. The mims... Mims. All right, if that helps you. The Mims will currently be in a bit of a state of shock. Because the dark track has no end. A nod from Eric, who raises his eyebrows, impressed. That's more like it, my lad. Good, yes, exactly. They'll start acting erratically feeling like they've lost their grounding. They'll be grieving, like me. Some will start testing their boundaries, like our crowlet here. The small bird has been listening and gives a cawing hop, proud to have the limelight for a moment. Some will be at the mercy of the elements. Some will go to ground. Some will be keening. They'll be in pain. So, if we can't find Padma's takeover soon, then we'll have to start rounding them up. And that's no easy task, Gavin. Do you have no idea who was going to take over from Padma, then? Eric looks at Gavin with eyes shining. No, we'd fallen out. Well, not fallen out exactly. I haven't seen Padma for two years, not properly. We just 
Oh, our paths diverged. You know that poem by Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken? I think so. Padma took the road less travelled. I stayed on the beaten path. She was brave and I was fearful. She walked forward toward the coming storm with all its excitement and all its horror. I shrank from it. There, <laughs> I said it. I started hiding among reminiscences and nostalgia. I started complaining and worrying and oh, getting miserable. Eric, you're old. Well, Eric, you are. And things are hard now. We're living in difficult times. Everyone feels rubbish at the moment. You're not alone. No. I know. I know I'm not. Eric lays a hand on Gavin's arm. Then he stoops down to retrieve a green bottle from the ground. Gavin, of course, hadn't noticed it. He swigs. Gavin checks over his shoulder to see if Shirley is coming down yet. Hell, how to deal with this? Eric must be three sheets to the wind, hence the mad ramblings. Eric offers the bottle to Gavin. Gavin's eyes widen. What's up with you? Go on, have a little, little help with the day. It agrees with you, I saw last night. Doesn't with everyone. Gavin is touched by this, that Eric has paid him attention. He takes the bottle with a small smile and sips. It sends his eyes in a loop, but his mind sharpens, and he's back in problem-solving mode. So, am I right in thinking we have a Pandora's box-type situation here if we can't find the takeoverer? We need a name for them too. And we can't find all the mims quickly enough. I mean, what will happen then? A frown from Eric. Gavin swallows. Okay, let's not think about that now. I'm sure we can do this. How long do we have to find the takeoverers? God, let's call them the substitutes, okay? Right, what are we talking about? Few weeks, what? Substitutes. Yes, all right, the substitutes. Within, oh, I'd say about three days is about right. Is that all? Three days from now? From when Padma died? Yes, uh, okay, of course, yeah. So, we've got till Wednesday evening. Blimey. And how many of these things are there? Eric looks sheepish. I'm not sure. Are we talking a handful? No? Okay, more. Say, a couple of dozen? More? A hundred? Eric shrugs. Eric, I hope you don't mind me saying so, but this does seem a bit irresponsible. Eric holds out the bottle again, with a serious look on his face. Not helpful. All right, he swigs. How do we find Padma's substitute? And what about you? Do you know who yours is? Well, I don't know if Vishwa had someone with her. She might have. And to find that out, we should talk to the people who she was in contact with recently. So, Lewis, I suppose... But really, there are lots of people who might help us find out. We just have to start asking. As for me, well, there's Elle. But she had to go. 
She must stay safe. She can't be in danger. That would be a disaster if something happened to her. Eric gazes off into the snowy undergrowth, which reminds me, where's that danger cat of mine got to? Eric turns and spies trouble close at hand. Now then, Reg, don't go near that crowlet. She's a wicked sense of humour, and you're no match for her. Reg cocks his head. Okay, says Gavin. Lewis first. I'll call him. Then we'll see. Aye, lad. Good start. Then we'll see. And we'll keep our eyes peeled for misbehaving mims. Despite the worrying situation, the two men smile at each other and their newfound alliance. As if the wind disapproves of their plan, it hurls a blast of icy air at their feet, and the crows, all of whom seem to have relocated to the terrace during their conversation, rise en masse with murderous cause. The crowlet rises along with her brethren. She glints her golden eye at the dog, who stands sensibly behind Gavin. And in her wake, there clatters an object at Eric's feet. Covered in the blackish, humus-rich soil of the track is a small silver bangle. It's tarnished and a little bent. It's a christening bracelet. Gavin bends down to pick it up. He brushes the soil from it and sees that written on it in graceful calligraphy is the name Henry. <coughs> Which reminds me, Cat was about to tell Shirley her plan. Crowlet has risen to eavesdrop, so we'll join her. But we won't get too close. Those claws do look sharp. So, it sounds like Cat is blackmailing Tanya. You heard that correctly. Actual blackmail is happening in Lower Lee. First, murder, also we're led to believe, and now this. Shirley now knows that Cat set everything in train on her return journey from America. America, I ask you. Anyway. I picked up the cash last night, got her to leave it in the bin outside the theatre. I stashed it in the shelter Henry and Charity used to play in at the far corner of the Lee Garden. It's enough to keep him safe until I can get him proper help, Shirl. You blackmailed her? I know. Yeah. Anyway, I-, I was thinking we need to launder it, don't we, in some way? Do we? Shirley is frowning slightly, shaking her head very slowly. Expecting some kind of physical pain or at least another tongue lashing, Cat is tensed, ready to withstand the attack and defend her decision. She shifts to her other foot. But... Shirley smiles, with something approaching warmth. Then she shakes her head. Stashed it in what? Was it a bag or something? Shirley begins. Well, yeah, it came in one of those Soul Star bags, you know, Tanya's company. It'll be fine, it's well hidden, Cat explains. It wasn't that well hidden because I found it last night in Eric's pond. What? Unless there's more than one bag of cash in the vicinity. Yes, there is a note of smugness there from Shirley. Big sister's prerogative. Shit, breathes Cat, eyes dancing. It's in Eric's shed. I haven't actually told him yet. I was going to this morning. Oh, 
Shirley Moles. Does she know it was you? No. Are you sure? Absolutely. Burn a phone. Messages, not calls. And you've destroyed that now? Not yet, no, but... Oh dear. Where is it? With the bag. Okay, you need to destroy it now. Right now, come on. It's fine. The battery's out of it. Cat looks like she got the cream. Don't panic, Shell. You're always advising me not to panic. This is really straightforward. Shirley's mouth drops open slightly. Yeah, it is. Tanya's a very serious person with excellent connections and an axe to grind. That's fairly straightforward. Cat squares her shoulders. She doesn't scare me. No? Why's Henry in America then? Well, obviously, I don't mean... Now Henry's safe, I can handle her. She's just normal, every day. No, Tanya is not every day. You haven't lived my life, remember, Shirl? You haven't lived day in, day out among chaotic, obsessive people with the threat of violence always there. I mean, sorry, not to make light of what happened to you, but you know what I mean. Cat, Tanya's not all she seems. She's in business with some scary people. And Gavin and me have witnessed a few weird things lately with her and with Lance. Yeah, I know Lance. But honestly, something's going on and... I don't know, it's the kind of thing that if you're not involved with those people, you just ignore it, don't you? But, God, you really don't want to start messing with them. No, you don't. Cat stares uneasily at Shirley. We need to get the bag, destroy the phone and disappear the cash. Okay, yes, fine, agreed. And then we need to ask Eric to help us so that Henry can come home. No. You saw what he could do last night. That's hardly a reason. This is Henry's life. You have no idea how hard it was to get him away from this damned place, Shirley. Don't say that. What? This damned place. It's not damned. Oh, God. Okay, bloody hell, sorry for disparaging your posh little neighbourhood. Look, there's nothing wrong with Henry. I know his behaviour is difficult to deal with sometimes, but that doesn't mean we should try and change him. I mean, have you really thought about what you'd be asking Eric to do? It's tantamount to lobotomy. Don't be so bloody dramatic, of course it's not. Sorry, Kat, but I think your perspective has gone seriously awry. I know you want to protect him, so do I. But what's the point if it means he won't be Henry anymore? He will! No, Kat. I won't let you. I don't care how you justify it, it's not right what you're suggesting. I will not let you do it. And she's off, stamping down those stairs as if they're fit for purpose. Cat's seething, standing there inert. The lump in her stomach swells and she erupts into hot tears, convulsing. Deirdre emerges from her hiding place and looks on suspiciously before following Shirley down the staircase, leaving Cat to stew alone in her bitterness and regret. As Shirley passes through Eric's kitchen, 
putting the kettle on on her way through, and giving Eric a hug before plunging out into the snow to find the bag of money. And Cat descends slowly after her, subdued and puff-faced, to find Eric closing the door on the advancing Crowlet, who darts at him only half-joking. And as Gavin curses his not-waterproof shoes on his way home, Lower Lee begins to wake in earnest. You have been listening to Low Light, written, performed and produced by Melanie Crawley for Crawley Voice Studio. Find out more at crawleyvoicestudio.com. Hold up. 